Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello, HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. Welcome to this episode of HealthCom Central. Today, I want to ask you if you've ever looked at a problem in public health, whether it's an issue like high maternal mortality rates or obesity or skin cancer, and said, why, despite our best efforts, is this still a significant problem? And of course, if you work in public health, your answer is probably, well, yeah, I've thought of that every day because every single day we put forth our best efforts and still people suffer from preventable disease and injury. Why is that despite our best efforts? Well, that question is actually the one that today's topic seeks to answer. Today, we're going to be talking about systems thinking, which is, again, an introduction to one of the fundamental disciplines here at HealthCom Central. As I've said for the other fundamentals, I promise there's going to be even more on this topic, a series that we'll come back to and unpack even more. But for now, I want to talk about what it is and why it can do a really good job of tackling that why despite our best efforts question and pointing us toward some solutions. Now, you may be sitting here going, well, systems thinking, yeah, I know about that. And it's funny, when I talk to people about systems thinking, I generally get one of two reactions. Some people are a little bit familiar or curious. Maybe they've had some exposure, they've taken a class or something like that. Occasionally, other people are like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar. That's thinking about the big picture or that's thinking holistically or, you know, considering the environment in addition to the individual or thinking about how things are connected. And none of that is wrong, but there is so very much more to systems thinking. I like to say that systems thinking really is three things. It is, first of all, a perspective or way of seeing things. And yes, that is big picture. Number two, it's a set of tools for understanding and solving problems. And number three, it's a mindset, a practice a set of habits for approaching life. I've been a convert to systems thinking approaches for years now. I've been training people how to apply it to public health for at least five or six years. But recently, I wrapped up an amazing experience as a learner myself in a year-long systems thinking certification program for training, facilitation, and coaching in systems thinking And it was conducted by the Waters Center for Systems Thinking. I'll link to them in the episode notes. They're an amazing organization and have all kinds of good tools out there. Not only did I finish that program really fired up about systems thinking, but also with a new understanding of many aspects of it and a whole lot of new tools for sharing it. But let's get back to what it is. Systems thinking is often exactly what we need for solving what some people call wicked problems, really big, intractable challenges that often have so many causes that they feel pretty insurmountable. Systems thinking is a diagnostic tool for finding out what is wrong, what's causing these problems, 
And it's also a tool for finding ways to solve them. So for example, let's take the issue of poverty in the US. It is a wicked problem. It's persistent. It's deeply entrenched. It also has many, many contributing factors. We could all make a long list. There are also thousands of potential solutions. Many of them have been tried. Now, side note, I'm not sure that we've exactly made our best effort here, but stick with me for a minute as we use this just as an example. Certainly, you could look at aspects of poverty and ask the question about best efforts, like someone who is passionate about childhood nutrition and works with the WIC program, Women, Infants, and Children program that provides nutritional help to families, might look at their work and say, why, despite our best efforts, are some American children still experiencing food insecurity? One reason, of course, is because addressing short-term needs doesn't really fix a broken system. The answer to how we can ensure that a particular child does not go to bed hungry tonight is going to be different than the answer of how can we ensure that all children stop experiencing food insecurity. We can address the short-term need with a short-term solution, but that is linear thinking. It doesn't really solve the more systemic problem. Systems thinking is really the opposite of linear thinking. Linear thinking zeroes in on direct cause and effect, and there's definitely a place for that sometimes. Sometimes we can address the immediate cause and change the immediate effect, but it's more of a band-aid. It's not going to be a sustainable change. Or maybe we address a short-term need and find then that it has unintended consequences for other parts of the system, things that are not even directly related. Often, We might not even see those indirect consequences unless we were able to zoom out. We can learn a lot more by zooming out than zooming in. So you might be saying, well, of course, that's big picture thinking. That's what I said systems thinking was. But no, no. A systems thinking approach is more than just understanding that things are interconnected and complex. I mean, that's step one. That's great. But it's what we do with the big picture that is what distinguishes systems thinking. A big part of systems thinking, and one of the things that really helps us move to the next level with this, is systems mapping. And that's where we make an actual drawing or map of the problem. And the map is going to name all of the actors and the entities that are involved. And often for the kind of work that we do in health communication, it might also include things like knowledge, attitudes, beliefs, practices, things that are part of the process, things that influence the relationships between the actors and entities on the map. And the map or drawing does a couple of important things. First of all, it really helps to reveal people's mental models of what is happening, and it helps surface assumptions that people may have. Sometimes it surfaces things that nobody could even see. Basically, it puts it all out on the table or on the wall, depending on where you're drawing the map, so that you can see connections and consequences, and you can see the circular nature of relationships. The map takes a whole bunch of abstract ideas about the system and makes them tangible and visible. Just seeing it in front of you can be an important springboard for discussion. And like I said, quite often, there are things that surface in the drawing of that map that no one on your team has thought of. 
The map can also allow you to view the situation from a different perspective. Sometimes people in the same room have very different perspectives and you have to work out that problem. Other times you may be able to take the perspective of somebody that's more distantly related to your situation and see how a change is going to affect them, how their behavior affects you, and to be able to see it from their viewpoint. You may also be able to see using the systems map ways that the system is set up that is driving behavior that was not intended or driving the very behavior you're trying to eliminate. Because often structure of a system drives the behavior. It's not individual choice. It's often the structure around it. As you draw this map, it is often a good time to really drill down on observations and data. And so you want to take a look at changes in the system over time. What's happening now versus what was happening before? How quickly are changes happening? What are the time delays? When I do this, how long is it going to take for something else to happen? And I'm going to be talking about several aspects of these systems thinking approaches in a future series on the topic. So we're not going to go into detail now. The important thing here is that you use both personal perspective and mental models, as well as data to create a snapshot of a situation. Then systems thinking gives us some tools to start looking for solutions. One of the tools is to look for patterns in the map. We call those patterns archetypes. You may remember that term from back in high school literature class, you know, the hero and the villain and the trickster and different characters that appear over and over in literature, often called archetypes. In systems thinking, archetypes are things that happen over and over again in any system. They are patterns of behavior, patterns of relationship. And if you can start to identify those, these known patterns, you can also begin to identify some known solutions. Also, and this is one of the most important things, you're going to be able to look at that systems map and identify some places on the map that are leverage points. Now, I know that people use that term leverage all the time. Let's step back for a minute and think about what it actually means. A leverage point is not just a place where change can happen. Think back Now to science class, we were thinking about literature class a minute ago, but now think back to science class. Think about when you learned about what a lever is. A lever is a simple machine and it's actually used to move something that is too heavy for you to move on your own or to move something with a lot less force than you would need on your own to move it. So a lever helps you to place a small amount of effort somewhere and get a big change as a result. So when we look for leverage points, it's about finding the place where a small amount of effort will result in the biggest change. If you're working with limited resources in public health, that is huge. If you're trying to deal with an intractable problem where it seems like the effort that you would have to put in to make a real change is insurmountable, finding a leverage point where a small amount of effort can result in a big change, again, is huge. These are some of the things that systems thinking can help you identify. Now, when I work with groups to draw a systems map, I think one of the best things to do, if at all possible, is after spending some time putting together that map, and it can take a few hours, sometimes the initial mapping process, to let it simmer for a few days or even a few weeks. Maybe if it's possible to have it in a place where people can see it, they can walk past it, they can revisit it. And 
contemplate it, think about it, come back and make some tweaks, make some additions. Continue the conversation as you have new insights. You're going to have even richer insights from your systems map the longer you think about it and let it kind of percolate in your mind. I'm going to provide you a couple of links in the episode notes to systems maps so that you can see what they look like. These are not maps that I was responsible for. I'm just going to find a few that are out there on the internet that you may enjoy taking a look at. Let me say from the get-go, they're going to look very complex and don't be afraid because even though they do become kind of complicated as you add to them, the process of getting started on a systems map is really pretty easy, especially if you do it working with a facilitator. The point of today's episode is actually not to teach you to do a systems map, although we will talk about that in a future episode. It's to talk about what a systems thinking approach entails. A map is one part. Systems thinking, again, puts it all out there on the table or the wall. And in doing that, it brings mental models about the way the system works, the way you think it works, the way your colleagues think it works, the way your adversaries think it works. It brings those mental models to the surface and helps to surface some assumptions that you may be making. And it does that, of course, for everybody in the room, which forces you to talk through those assumptions, to compare your data, to compare your observations, and to resolve any disagreements about what's happening. Then systems thinking gives you some tools to make use of the map to find causes and patterns and solutions. And finally, what we haven't talked about is applying the habits of systems thinking. Because the more you do systems thinking, the more it changes your way of thinking and encourages you to try new approaches. Honestly, it can make you think differently about not just the problem at hand, but really every aspect of your life. And that is the way that systems thinking becomes a practice. Now, there are two instances where I think systems thinking can be especially valuable that I want to mention to you here. I mean, of course, you can use it to develop a campaign, to develop an intervention, to solve a big problem. But let me tell you two ways that people are using this very effectively today. First of all, when you have a wicked problem like poverty, the example that we started with, and people have very different ideas about what the causes are, what the solutions should be, you can imagine how helpful it is to be able to get all of that out on the table and talk through what's actually happening. So you can use system thinking in a situation where there's no one right answer and where groups have some fairly polarized views of what's happening. When you bring people together to sketch out a problem like this, it allows them to view the situation from a different point of view on the map, from a different point of view of somebody else in the room, and that can really pave a path to understanding. Even if it doesn't get to agreement, it can get to understanding. And in these polarized times, that's pretty important. The second situation that systems thinking works so very well in, in my experience, is strategic planning. I've been working with organizations for many years to develop strategic plans. There's a whole lot to say there. I'm going to be offering a free mini course soon on my website, so you can stay tuned for some information about that in a few weeks. But As we're talking about systems thinking, let me say that I am a firm believer that beginning the strategic planning process with a systems mapping exercise can result in a much better, more effective plan. Why is that? It's because strategic planning is essentially a linear process. It is 
If we do this, then that. If this, then that. And that's fine in terms of a roadmap for action. I mean, you do need to know how to put one foot in front of the other as you proceed toward a goal or objective. But without a real understanding first of the system, it's kind of like following a map with blinders on. So you might miss out on opportunities that you can't see and also not spot some dangers or consequences if you're only able to see what's right in front of your nose. Systems thinking is a 360 view, and you may end up going the long way or even the wrong way when finding a leverage point on a different path could have been much faster and easier and more effective. Systems thinking lets you see all the paths and all the consequences. And that results in a much more robust plan that is going to be easier to accomplish in the real world. The thing to me about systems thinking that is so valuable is that it can really give you a whole new way to view the world, how each thing that you do or touch or are impacted by was set in motion by other things. And then, of course, the ripple effect of your own actions and responses. Nothing out there exists in a vacuum. Not poverty, not food production or fashion trends or healthcare costs, certainly not pandemics or chronic health conditions or social determinants of health. It's all interconnected. Causes and effects are everywhere and they're circular. And systems thinking is a way to understand it, talk about it, and address it. Three things, perspective, tools, and habits for solving life's wicked problems and some smaller challenges too. That is systems thinking in a nutshell. I hope you've enjoyed today's introduction to systems thinking. Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be covering the final foundational discipline here at HealthCom Central, which is design thinking. And of course, we're going to start rotating through some other behavior change frameworks and theories that are so, so important and useful. A few of them may be familiar, but I can guarantee that some of them are going to be new to you. And I hope you will tune in for those. Until then, thank you so much for listening today to another episode of HealthCom Central. Please do let your friends and colleagues and students know that we're out here by sharing the link. And don't forget to leave a rating and review and to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time, be well, stay safe, and stay science-based. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.